Genesis chapter 22. Would you stand as we read together the word of the Lord? We'll begin at verse 1, and let's read together, shall we? Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together. Now I ask that you will open our hearts, that we will be able to hear not so much what the preacher is going to say, but that we may be able to hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask you to send the Holy Spirit after them to draw them. Don't let one of them be lost. And today, Lord, our hearts are particularly moved by the reports that we see of what's happening in Ukraine. We just ask, oh Lord, that peace will come to that region. We pray, oh Lord, that you will protect our brothers and our sisters that are in harm's way. We pray especially for the children in the orphanages, Lord, that uh, are having to be evacuated and relocated. We ask for divine protection and provision for all of them. Oh, Lord, somehow, somehow let calmer heads prevail. Lord, we recognize that the help that we need doesn't really come from the politicians. It doesn't come from the diplomats. The only help that is really going to be help that is needed is the help that comes from you. And so I'm praying for divine intervention there and that this will cease. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Lord. And I pray all of these things today in the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. With the Middle Eastern sun beating down from a cloudless sky, the small band of travelers carefully picked their way across rough terrain. 
Occasionally, the young son could be seen extending a supporting hand to his aging father as they made their way toward the distant mountain. They traveled light, accompanied only by two young servants and a donkey laden with wood and supplies needed for the journey. On the third day, the father looked up and saw they were nearing their destination. Suddenly, the enormity of his task overwhelmed him, and for a brief moment, he halted. Then with a sigh of resignation, he set his face and resumed his trek. Only this time, every step seemed more labored. With every step, his heart grew heavier. Abraham had faced a number of tests in his almost 130 years of living, but, but this one, well, this one seemed almost more than he could bear. The tranquility he had enjoyed for the last 30 years with his son, Isaac, was shattered. And the God he had come to know and serve spoke to him in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 22 and said, Take now your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Right in the very beginning of this story, I want you to consider the scrutiny of Abraham. That word scrutiny is defined as a searching study, an inquiry or inspection, an examination. Abraham most certainly went through a searching study, inquiry, and inspection by God. Verse 1 begins with the words, after these things, which begs the question, what things? After the things that had taken place in Abraham's life up until this point, especially after the events in the preceding chapter 21. After these things implies that some time had elapsed between the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, the word for testing has the idea of proving the quality of someone or something, often through adversity or hardship. Now, <clears throat> there are some who will immediately object to this idea of God testing They've somehow gotten the notion that God will not bring any test into the lives of his people. And while it is true that God will never tempt you to sin, it is also true that God will test you. God will put you in places and situations where your faith and your confidence and your commitment and your faithfulness all will be tested. Now, when you read the story of Abraham and Isaac, you have the luxury of reading all the way to the end. So you already know there's going to be a verse 11 and a verse 12 where the angel will call to Abraham and is going to stop him from sacrificing his son. You know there's a verse 13 where there's going to be a substitute caught in the thicket. But when God speaks to Abraham and first gives him the command to sacrifice his son, Abraham knows none of that. He doesn't know there's going to be a verse 11, a verse 12, and a verse 13. As far as Abraham knew, verse 2 was the end. The end of the promise the end of his future, the end of his hope, the end of his laughter. And it's important for you to hear this because the truth is that when you are facing a test, God never announces at the beginning, listen, it's not really all that bad. 
don't get alarmed. This is only a test. You know, for the next 60 days, you're going to be tested, but there's no need to panic. It's only a test. You won't really lose your job. You, the relationship won't end in disaster. Your health won't deteriorate. The bank won't foreclose. The kids will turn out all right. This is only a test. God never does that. In fact, sometimes the relationship does fall apart. Sometimes the job does get terminated. Sometimes the kids don't turn out all right. Sometimes the bank does foreclose. Sometimes the health does fail. The real test is not, do you believe God will heal you or miraculously provide or supernaturally turn things around? The real test is, do you continue to trust God when you don't get healed? When the supply doesn't show up? When things don't turn around do you only trust God when there's a payoff at the end or do you trust him even when there's no payoff is God all by himself enough notice Abraham's obedience expressed when God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son don't miss the silence of Abraham remember back in chapter 18 when God was talking to him about destroying Sodom Well, Abraham debated and bargained with God to get him to save the city. But here, Abraham doesn't say a word. The text doesn't even say anything about him letting his wife, Sarah, know what he was going to do. Instead, the next verse, verse 3, just simply says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose... And went to the place of which God had told him. Sacrifice of children was common in that ancient culture. But it was something God had specifically forbidden. Yet here is God instructing Abraham to do something that is contrary and contradictory to everything he knows about God. And what is Abraham's response? Obedience. No arguing. No questioning. Immediate unhesitating, unwavering obedience. When God first called Abraham to leave his homeland of Ur of the Chaldeans, God promised to make of him a great nation and to give him a multitude of descendants. Abraham didn't understand how that promise of God could be fulfilled if he carried out the command to sacrifice his son. But rather than arguing and questioning, he left the difficulty with God which is the essence of true trust. At its core, trust is acting upon the word and the promise of God. Abraham trusted even though he couldn't understand the solution to the difficulty. And this brings me to look at the ordeal experienced by Abraham. See, the journey to Mount Moriah was about 45 miles and it took them about three days to get there. Nowhere does the Bible describe what Abraham was feeling about God's command during those three days of travel? It it doesn't need to. I mean, you don't need Abraham's anguish spelled out to know how he was feeling. You can imagine all the questions that must have run through his mind. Now, you've heard me say this before from this pulpit, but I need to remind you of this truth once again. God will never ask for what you do not have. But he will always ask for what you'd like to keep. 
The reason is because it's those things you hold on to, things you cling to, those things you treasure. Those are the things that too easily get put ahead of God. The things you treasure can be, can be sorted into four basic categories. First, there are possessions, tangible, valuable things, uh, you know, a house, a car, a piece of property, uh, an heirloom pocket watch, uh, a diamond, uh, a rare coin. A second category would be vocation, your work or your career, your calling. People usually wrap their identity up in their vocation. Have you ever noticed if somebody's asked to introduce themselves, tell me something about yourself, they will say their name and the very next thing they'll say is what they do for a living. They wrap their identity up in their vocation. It's often tied with who you are and why you're here, your purpose. Third category encompasses dreams and interests. Dreams includes hope for the future, the things you want to accomplish. Your, your interests include hobbies and entertainment interests. The fourth category involves relationships, people you treasure, a, a parent you depend on, a son or a daughter you delight in, a, a spouse you fear losing, a friend who means the world to you. Listen, none of those treasures, possessions, vocation, uh, interests, and dreams, or relationships, none of them are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. But any or all of them can threaten to compromise your relationship with God if you treasure them above your relationship with Him. Whatever you put ahead of God, God will ask you to release. Every time. Verse 5 gives a glimpse into Abraham's thinking when he says to the servants, you stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. You get a glimpse into Abraham's trust when Isaac makes the observation in verse 7 that there's wood and there's fire but there's no animal for the sacrifice. And Abraham replies in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. The writer in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, gives this commentary when he writes, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Since Isaac is the son through whom God will fulfill all of his promises, therefore he must live or God would be found to be false. Yet God commands that this son be put to death. In the natural, that's a huge contradiction. But there is no contradiction in God. There's power in God. There's wisdom in God. There's majesty and glory in God. But there is no contradiction in God. So the conclusion Abraham reached is this, since there is no contradiction in God, there's only one possible answer to the seeming incongruity. God is going to perform a miracle and raise Isaac from the dead. Amen. Doubt may say this is foolish. I mean, after all, up until now, there's never been a resurrection in the recorded history of the world. That doesn't matter because a resurrection is compatible with the nature of God. God is life and the author of life. It would be a small matter for the God who created the universe to bring life back into a dead body. So the one clear logical conclusion is that God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham took what he had learned about walking with God and based his obedience upon the inviolable character of God who had made an unbreakable covenant with him. And that became his assurance point 
and the foundation upon which he built an unshakable trust. And I want to suggest to somebody going through a test right now that you need to learn a lesson from Abraham right here. You need to touch your assurance point. You need to reach back into your memory bank and remember what you've learned in your time of walking with the Lord. You need to remember where the Lord brought you from. You need to remember how he delivered you from a dark place. You need to remember how he restored hope when all hope was lost. You need to remember how he gave you peace in the midst of chaos. You need to remember the way he came through for you the last time you were in a desperate situation. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his provision. Remember his protection. Remember his comfort. You need to remember he has brought you from a mighty long way. And instead of focusing on the problem and focusing on the adversity and in focusing on the storm. Focus on God. Go into your private place. Sit down. Dial up his number. Have a long conversation with him and remember the sound of his voice. Remember the word of his promise and let faith rise in your heart. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Raise up the hands that hang heavy at your side and straighten those shoulders that sag and lift up the eyes that are downcast and open your mouth in praise and walk forward in confidence knowing that God Almighty is your God. See, you may not be able to see it right now, but I'm here to tell you God is working. God is working. While you're waiting, while you're questioning, while you're hurting, while you're trying to create a new strategy, while you're looking for other options, God is working. Somebody ought to just praise, the, praise him for the fact that he's at work right now. So... So Abraham took the wood in the fire. He left the servants behind with the donkey because he didn't want them to try and stop him from what God had said for him to do. This is what we might call the principle of separation. See, sometimes you need to get away from those who will lead you down the wrong path and keep you from obeying God. I wish I had a lot of time to spend right there, but my time is quickly getting away from me because I just really like to camp there and preach for about 45 minutes about the principle of separation. But I think you get the idea. Well, I've talked about the scrutiny of Abraham. Now I want to show you something that is often overlooked in this story, and that's the submission of Isaac. The Bible says in verse 6 of the text that Abraham placed the wood on Isaac's shoulders and the two of them started up the mountain. Now, a lot of people read this story and they have a, a mental picture of Isaac as a little lad toddling along beside Abraham. But that's not really the case. See, first of all, Isaac is old enough and he's big enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. Second, the very next chapter, chapter 23, tells about Isaac's mother, Sarah, dying at the age of 127. At the time of her death, Isaac would have been about 37 years old. Since a considerable period of time elapsed between Genesis 21 and Genesis 22, it's reasonable to conclude that this incident of being sacrificed on Mount Moriah took place later in Isaac's life rather than earlier. Finally, one of the lessons from this story is that here, God is painting a prophetic picture of future redemption for humanity by Jesus on Calvary's cross. When you put all those pieces together, it seems reasonable to believe that Isaac, who is a prophetic type of Jesus, was about 33 years old when he accompanies his father to the place of sacrifice on Mount Moriah, the same age as Jesus when he was crucified. 
you can see the submission of Isaac as he carries the wood up the mountain. Nowhere in the story is there even a hint of a suggestion that he resisted being bound and laid upon the altar. Surely a young man of 33 in robust health could overpower a man of Abraham's age. But Isaac is submissive to the process even though he understood even less than Abraham because remember... God didn't speak to Isaac about being sacrificed. He just spoke to Abraham, and Isaac said, okay, whatever you say, Dad. This is a prophetic picture. Isaac on this altar is a symbolic type of Jesus dying for the sins of the world on Calvary's cross. Consider these parallels. Isaac is called the only begotten son of Abraham. That ought to sound familiar because Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Isaac was loved by his father. Remember, take your son Isaac, your only son whom you love. Jesus was loved by his father as was witnessed at his baptism when the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Both Isaac and Jesus were obedient to their father. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice even as Jesus carried his cross to be sacrificed. The place of sacrifice for Isaac was Mount Moriah. Jesus was sacrificed on Mount Calvary and at his death the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn. That Holy of Holies was positioned at the very site of the altar where Isaac was laid. Both Isaac and Jesus willingly laid down their lives without resistance. Isaac according to Hebrews eleven nineteen, was received back by his father even as Jesus was received back to his heavenly father following his resurrection. These parts of the prophetic picture of Isaac have already been fulfilled by Jesus. Ah, but there's one more part that is still to come. Once Isaac is received back to Abraham, there is no mention of him until you get to the end of chapter 24 when he is united with his bride, Rebecca. And may I just take a moment right here to remind you that this is the part we're still waiting for. It's been about 2,000 years since we last saw him, but there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus, the fulfillment of this prophetic picture will be united with his bride, the church, and will sit down together with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the peaceable kingdom of our God. Praise be to his name. Well, there's the scrutiny of Abraham, there's the submission of Isaac, and finally I want you to see the substitution of God. A little earlier in the message, I told you that anything you put ahead of God, God will ask you to release. There's another part of that statement. What you release, God will replace with something far more valuable. That's the part we forget. We get so worried about what we're giving up that we don't realize that if we will surrender it, if we will release it, God has something so much better for us. And this brings me back to the question of trust. Isaac is bound. He's placed on the altar. Abraham raises the knife. In his heart, Isaac is already sacrificed. As far as Abraham knows, this is the end of the dream. This is the nullification of the promise. There is no payoff of laughter to his obedience. When everything held dear is released, that's when the angel of the Lord cries out and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. At that moment, at that moment, not a moment too soon and not a moment too late, at that moment, a ram is caught in the thicket and becomes the sacrifice offered in worship 
to God. Abraham names that place Jehovah Yireh. This is the only place where this name for God is used. Jehovah Yireh. Jehovah is the covenant name of God. It's translated as the Lord. The word Yireh means see. In our English, most of us read it Jehovah Jireh. Okay, so if, that's, if that bothers you, you know, I don't, tomato, tomato. Okay. Jehovah Yireh means literally the Lord will see or will see to it. That's why it, it's why it says, in the, at the end of that, it says, in the mountain of the Lord, it will be seen. It's more commonly translated, the Lord will provide. Think for a moment about that word provision. The prefix pro means ahead of or before. Provision is to have vision or to see ahead of or before the need. The idea is that the Lord who sees the need will also see to it that the need is met even before the need is present. I'm not sure I did that well, so let me back up and say it again slower for the people in the back. The Lord who sees the need will also see to it that the need is met even before the need is present. Here's what I found. Most people want the yure part, you know, the provision part, the seeing to the need, even before it's present. We, we like that. Truth be told, you'd rather he go ahead and provide without you even becoming aware that you have a need. Where you sometimes balk is with the Jehovah part, the Lord, because that's the obedience part. The end of verse 14 says, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Notice where it is the Lord provides. In the place of his assignment. Abraham was at the right place so God could meet his need. See, if he's not on the mount, the Lord's provision can't get to him because he's not in the place he's supposed to be. See, you can do things your way or you can see God's provision. You can't have both. That was a good place for an amen that some of you just absolutely missed. Jehovah Yireh means the Lord provides. You can't expect him to provide if he's not your Lord. And this requires obedience. This is what it means at the end of the story when the Lord pronounces blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing to Abraham in verses 17 and 18. And then at the end of verse 18, he tells him why and how these blessings are coming to him when he says, because you have obeyed my voice. This is the essence of trust. Obedience even when there is no fulfillment of promise. Obedience, even when there's no payoff at the end. Obedience, even when it flies in the face of everything you planned and everything you hoped. When you can lay your Isaac down and be satisfied with God alone in its place, that's when you can receive the reward of trust. When God is truly enough all by himself, that's when you pass the test of trust and can receive its reward. See, when God sees that kind of trust, then his provision kicks in. That's when he replaces any treasure you release with something far better. 
That's when he sees to it that your expectations are exceeded. That's when he rewards your commitment to him with blessings beyond imagination. Let me, let me land this plane. At the end of chapter 21, Abraham speaks of God as El Olam, the enduring or everlasting God. That is, God is the one who is responsible for the grand scheme of things. He's, he's the God of the long term. But here in chapter 22, Abraham speaks of Jehovah Yireh, the God who provides, the God who sees to all the details of the present need. See, he isn't just God of the long term. He's God of the short term as well. He's the one who cares for the needs of the moment. I'm preaching to where somebody's living right now. Somebody listening to this message, you need to know that today, right now, this very day. You're not even aware of it, but God is seeing to the details of how to work things out for your good. Right now, when it seems that you've been forgotten and forsaken, when it seems that no one cares, when you've exhausted all the resources available to you, God is seeing to the details of your life. Right now, when it seems the problems are going to overwhelm you and you will surely sing. God is seeing to the details so you will not go under. Instead, you'll rise up and you'll be more than a conqueror through his grace and through his power and through his spirit that is at work in your life. Right now, you may not be able to see it. You may be on one side of the mountain trudging along, dreading what awaits you when you get up to the top. But I want you to know that God is already at work. He's already started seeing to the details of of your need and he has already started the process and he started the provision coming up on the other side of the mountain so that when you get to the top when trust has been demonstrated when your Isaac has been laid down when God knows that you want him more than his promise that's when the provision will be released to your life I'm telling you the Lord is right now seeing to all the details of your miracle if you believe that, why don't you give him praise in the house today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your promise. Thank you for your word. There's a lot more we could talk about in this story, but I just believe the, the Lord has brought us to a place of response. As I bring the message to a close, I want to first of all give an invitation for you to surrender your life to Jesus who has already made the sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin. Now understand something. I'm not asking you to surrender to Jesus so you'll be able to go to heaven when you die. I'm asking you to surrender to Jesus because walking with him and living for him is its own reward. It's the best life you could ever live. Would you bow with me for a moment, please? Maybe you'll want to pray a prayer something like this. I don't, I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't need you to come forward because the truth is it's not about making me feel good because you responded. It's about what's going on in your heart and your connection with the Lord. But if you need to receive Jesus, maybe you'll want to pray a prayer something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for you. I've ignored you. I've gone my own way. I've forgotten about your plan for my life. And I recognize that I'm in need of your grace. So I ask you to forgive me of my sin, cleanse my heart, change me from the inside out, transform my life. Today I surrender to you. I'll live for you, I'll serve you. 
Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for making me your child. Amen. If you prayed that kind of a prayer with me, the end of this service, if you'll go into the lobby to the information desk, I have a book I want to give you that'll help get you started in your walk with the Lord. It's not about, you know, it's not about putting, putting notches in the belt, you know, of how many people we, we have respond to an invitation. Only you and Jesus know if you mean that. And that's really all that matters at this point. Now, once you get started, you're going to find yourself wanting to tell somebody else about it, and that's part of the process. But right now, it's just, let's get this part right. And we want to help you do that. Now, to those of you who are already in a relationship with the Lord, I want to challenge you with this question. I want to know, do you trust the Lord? Don't give me the religious, oh, well, of course I trust Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That's so easy to say. I mean, do you really trust him? Are you willing to lay your Isaac down, that which is most precious to you? Are you, really to real, are you ready and willing to just surrender it to Jesus? Whatever it is that you treasure most, are you ready to lay it down? Are you ready to live as if walking with God is its own reward? If you have a need that only God can meet, I want to pray with you. But if you, if you come for prayer, I want you to come with the mindset that you're coming in total surrender to the will and the way of the Lord. Before you ever ask for God's provision, you're going to lay your Isaac down. Say, I give it up, Jesus. Remember, all of this happens in Abraham's heart before it ever happens anywhere else. That's where it starts. I'm laying it down, no matter what it looks like and no matter what the outcome. You just say, you're going to trust God. One more time, I'm going to ask you to quickly bow your heads. And if somebody is saying, Pastor, I have one of those needs only God can meet, and I am willing to make that kind of a commitment to lay down that which I treasure the most so that God can bring me his best in this situation. And I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, please, for just a moment so I know who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Lord, I'm asking you to give attention to the people who have lifted their hands now. I'm asking you to bring the help of your presence right where they need you the most. I'm asking that you turn this around for them. As we surrender completely to you, I pray that you will come and you will transform their lives and you will supply the need with even better than what they could ever have imagined. I thank you for hearing our prayer today. I thank you and I believe the promise of your word that you are the Lord who provides, who sees to it in advance. Somebody ought to just lift your hands in thanksgiving to the Lord right now for his promise. Thank you.